Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs and creatives and artists to reveal their unexpected paths to entrepreneurship. Today, my guest is Mars Dorian. I've known Mars for, as we talked about in here, it feels like decades because in internet time, time goes so much quicker. But I've known Mars for a while, probably nearing a decade from the blogging space and the art that he was doing for bloggers and for himself and book covers and all these things. Mars has been an artist, a full-time artist for his entire adult life. And we talk all about NFTs from the artist's perspective. For, for the last two and a half months, he's been just headfirst or diving headfirst into NFTs and really building out his collector base there, all from the um, from the inspiration, from the recommendation of one of his existing collectors. But we dive into NFTs from the artist's perspective. We talk about Solana and all the changes there and all the different opportunity that's out there for an artist. And we dive into his story and um, really connecting his art to sort of some personal struggles that he went through. It really, it put everything in a new light for me. And I mean, I love his stuff even more, but this was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Mars Dorian. Uh, So you are... I mean, you are, you've been doing this full-time for a while now and as a full-time artist, full-time designer, like just to start, to sort of start. So how do you encapsulate, um, sort of briefly, like what you do and what your day-to-day looks like? Yeah. So, um, and I'm an illustrator. I been a full-time illustrator for, I think almost a decade now, maybe nine years. And I, what I do basically, I, I do a, a variety of things. I have like exhibitions, um, where I sell, uh, premium art prints of my artwork. I, I dub my style urban cartoon art. So it's a cartoonish comic style heavily inspired by like a British cartoonist, Japanese artwork and streetwear and a bit of fantasy. So it's a really weird mix. It's very colorful. There's a lot of details. And um, yeah, uh, what I basically do, so I sell artworks, prints, I do exhibitions. That was pre-book COVID, of course. And I uh, had galleries and uh, doing commissions for private artists, uh, uh, not artists, like a private artist commissions for people, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes like small businesses, startups who just hired me to do like artwork and that. And um, yeah, also like illustrations for books and uh, even like covers. Um, so uh, print works, like cover work, private commissions. And yeah, that was basically the baseline of everything that I make. Yeah, for sure. And now you're dabbling in NFTs. Yeah, I mean, NFTs, I had just a few months ago, uh, a reader of my blog uh, came up to me like via um, my email and he said, hey, can I buy that artwork as an NFT? And I was like, as a what? <laughs> and then and then he was using that language. And I thought, I mean, my English is not the worst. I speak it decently, but he was saying so many confusing words like uh make this your genesis piece and i buy it for you for like at least 0.15 e <laughs> when you drop an open sea or something like that and i'm like what the hell are you talking about <laughs> right yeah and, all those uh, words are a new language i mean the you obviously it's english but oh yeah you know, like a drop a drop means it's a release right uh-huh. and genesis 
Genesis drop means it's your first ever release, like your, the launch of your first artwork on that blockchain. But um, yeah, and it was completely new to me. And I asked, have you a bunch of software programming friends? And they told me basically, oh yeah, like it's like a, a unique digital asset, which is like uh, put on like a blockchain. And they explained it to me like a five-year-old, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Or like a three or two-year-old. And yeah, and then basically I learned it all myself. And it was very complicated because I'm not a techie person. I know like Photoshop and all the design illustration programs, but like here you have to learn about the blockchain, about different um, exchanges where you swap currencies and you have to understand like MetaMask, which is a Chrome extension, which you need to connect to a marketplace where you then put up your ETH and then you need to pay a mint, a, a mint fee, like a gas fee. And it's like measured in way and it changes rapidly. And like, it's a lot, but I did it because I found it exciting and that's how I started. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, do you feel like fully comfortable with all that stuff? Well, uh, I actually, here's another trendy word, onboarding. <laughs> if, it's, if, if you bring somebody to the platform and explain them like how to get on there and how to do everything. And I did it to a Czech friend of mine. She's also an illustrator from Prague. And I, I, know, I know her for like 10 years and I explained it to her, like all the basic information. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it was just so natural for me because I talked to like a, a collector of mine and we use that language all the time and her English is like perfect, but she had no idea what I was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that's exactly how I felt three months ago. And no, it's so easy right now. Like you, I understand like the gas fee, when's the best time to upload something, lazy minting, what you have to watch out for, what's the best edition, how do you price it, how do you price an edition? Like just through sheer trial and error. Yeah. And it's very natural now. But I still, when I'm overconfident, I still get hit like a little baby when I learn about something like a new NFT platform that uses the Solana cryptocurrency, uh-huh. where you need a different wallet and a different cryptocurrency for that and I'm thinking, wow, okay, <laughs> it's humble. Yeah, I that's what I find really fascinating about this space because when we started, it's so confusing, so complex, just, like just so many moving parts. But now it seems mm. so normalized, like to me too, that when I explain it to people, I end up like skipping some steps because I forget, like, oh yeah, you don't you don't even know what like blockchain is yet. Like I have so like mm. so much um so many layers to build in. Um, speaking of Solana. Like you've been looking into that. Have you, is there a particular platform you're considering or that you've tested out yet? So I was on the, um, I was on a clubhouse session mm-hmm. uh, by a poet and an NFT creator called Aaron Harper. Haper, I don't know. It sounds German, kind of like the name, but uh, it's American. Okay. And he basically, uh, there was a woman and she said that she sold on the, um, let me see really quick. So she was, she's kind of like uh, onboarding people for, uh, Solana-based uh, blockchain, mm-hmm. and it's called because they're new ones. And she tries to onboard me, and I'm very curious, but it's also um, quite um, different because you need two different wallets and two different cryptocurrencies. It's called Holaplex. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. And how do you spell that? So it's like Hola. It's like Ola without the um, okay. H-O-L-A and Plex like Solar Plex. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'll have to jot that one down. Yeah, I haven't looked at that yet. I've been 
just starting to look at, let's see, Holoplex uh, or Olaplex. There we go. Okay, sweet. Yeah, because I've just been starting to look at Solana for NFTs specifically because I bought some Solana a, a little bit ago, not a ton, but when it was $30 a, a token. So I was like, oh, oh that wow. seems... Yeah, it seems really underpriced. And I was like, this is a really, like, it's very solid blockchain. Everything about it is, like, where Ethereum's going with version 2. So I was like, this just seems like a good, like, investment. I only bought a handful, not very much at all. But seeing it explode lately, I've been diving back in and looking at it to see, like, why why it's happening. And I saw that... Um, have you seen the exchange FTX? Yeah, yeah, okay. I've heard of it. Uh, I'm still in the middle of checking everything out, like Holaplex and everything. Uh-huh. I was a little bit about the other cryptocurrency which you need to connect with it. Um, yeah. Oh, there's another R-Weave. one? Oh, for yeah. Arweave. Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so then... You need it. Yeah, so you would then upload your art to Arweave and connect it in, I guess. Huh. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. That's interesting. Yeah, so the way, real quick, she explains it is basically that uh, uh, Solana is only uh, saving like, uh, like uh, you, te- you need two different blockchains and the other one is like the storage blockchain, mm-hmm. which is compatible with Solana so that it runs faster, like in my primitive terms, the way I explain it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you need both for the store that you set up on that Polarplex platform. And it's still undiscovered, not undiscovered space, but it's fairly, it's not very competitive yet. Yeah. It's very new. Um, Solana is, it's like going through the roof right now, right? In terms of ma- like, I, I just checked like how much it has grown over the past week, even I'm thinking, <laughs> holy crap. Yeah. So I bought some like, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's supposedly super fast. And I, I watched a lot of videos. I asked some programming friends. So I'm excited. Like you should always expand you should never be hooked to one platform, even if it's the most popular one, because um, that can make you like comfortable and you should always pay attention to what, what else is happening in the space, right? Because NFTs, I truly think that the future, I think they're becoming more and more mainstream, which also means that new uh, platforms will arise, right? And the major problem of Ethereum right now, I mean, is obviously the gas fee. Oh, yeah. Um, that's what, that, that was the main reason why I looked to so, uh, Solana, because it's so cheap, like the transaction fee by comparison. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, Ethereum, I love Ethereum. I invest in it and I sold everything on Ethereum right now. But in terms of the NFTs, I think like 24, 28 pieces, somewhere in that range. And I made serious money with it, but it's just, I wanted to gift another f- uh, collector, an earlier collector of mine with an NFT on my own. And was taking for free, obviously, as a mm-hmm. gift. I was checking the gas fee and it was about $160, $170 yeah. for a transaction. Yeah, just the transaction. And and you think if someone wanted to just, like, let's say, buy a pizza with Ethereum and then a transaction fee is $160, that's just not possible. Like, that just, it doesn't work yet for the system like that. Um, no. Yeah. And I wanted to mention FTX real quick because FTX just launched their NFT marketplace which mm-hmm. um so they're a big exchange but the thing about it that is really fascinating is apparently they are doing cross-chain nfts i just saw this today it was tweeted a few days ago but that means you could buy and sell ethereum nfts within solana so it's essentially oh, wow. like, it's almost like a virtual machine like it's i think mm-hmm. if they're using it they're calling it the evm um is what i've seen for other things but if they're using the evm it's like running windows on your mac or vice versa 
but it's running mm. Ethereum within Solana. And if that works, all bets are off. I don't know what's going to happen with Solana. It could just explode because Ethereum 2 isn't there yet. It's not, they don't have the gas, like, like you said, the gas isn't figured out and dialed in in a way that makes it feasible. But Solana already yeah. does it. So I'm very curious to see what happens in the next week, month, like very near term, because there's a huge potential mm. over there right now. And like you said, not a ton of competition either. Yeah, and is it is it based on Solana? Like, do you get paid in Solana then, basically? Yeah, like I don't know the mechanism of how they do the cross chain, um, but a, mm -hmm. from what I understand, from the little bit that I've seen so far, because I just was looking earlier today at this, um, mm -hmm. the little bit I've seen so far, it looks like you can buy and sell and make the transactions in Solana, so in Sol but it can Very still nice. be an Ethereum piece that's moved across, like cross-chain. And yeah, if that works, like, oof. <laughs> I mean, the good thing in general is that every blockchain or every cryptocurrency that has um, the potential to operate with another blockchain, or I don't know what the proper term is, but that mm -hmm. can be like, uh, how do you say it, compatible? Yeah. In a way, it means that all the major blockchain or the cryptocurrencies will grow because of that, right? Mm -hmm. Because then it's not like just this one replacing that one. It's like, oh, it's uh, compatible with that one so that the value is growing for all the major ones, at least that have a similar function. No, I think it's exciting. Um, like I said, I invested in Solana right now after all the research I did. And uh, yeah. I mean, the, even in Europe, because obviously I'm in Germany, um, it's just already like 20% from what I invested last week, 20 to 25% yeah. or more. So I thought, I don't want to get too crazy. Like, yeah, <laughs> but like it's, 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 it's a big enough amount that if it grows much further than um, that, you will see a return of investment. And I'm excited about low transaction. And I have to say in general, all the um, NFT marketplaces, even the ones that use like um, ADA, like Cardano, mm -hmm. um, uh, they don't look as good. Like from yeah. a user interface, they look kind of cheap, like a cheap rip off of OpenSea in a way, like a low budget version, like a BOC movie. <laughs> uh, and I'm thinking, I mean, if it gets more popular, they're going to improve that. But OpenSea or like every marketplace, even the closed ones, like super rare, non-origin, they look so much more stylish and better than what the competition looks like. So I'm hoping they change that. Even the Solana Holaplex, I checked it out yesterday. It's decent. It's kind of like simple, but it's just not there yet, right? But mm -hmm. again, it's not that big yet. So maybe that grows with more demand. Yeah. Have you looked at Tezos at all? I have. I have. Uh, um, I even a few months ago, I bought like 100 euro, which is like a 120, $130 of Tezos. Mm -hmm. And I tried Hickenunk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, NFT platform, I didn't like it at all. Like yeah. I found it, it's very minimalist. I thought, oh, it's going to be easy. But I found it very still complicated. So like selling a piece means you swap it. And that's like when you have something and then you put it out on the market where it gets minted and it's called a swap. Like why did you just like put like, like an open sea, like sell it, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Swap it because swapping means like, yeah. And I don't need the user interface, nah. And then... There was not a lot of, it, it's, I don't know. I just, I don't like it as much. I think mm -hmm. OpenSea is still the best, but I want to branch out, obviously. But yeah. I'm always curious for new ones, right? I never want to be stuck with one platform. Yeah, and like, I like Tezos as 
as a blockchain. But yeah, Hicket Nunc, even the name, it's hard to say, hard to remember. Um, but yeah, it just yeah. it doesn't have the interface yet, unfortunately, to really make it like user friendly. There is object, mm. so I think it's object with a K, O B J E K T, which does uh, no Tezos. Vocals. What's that? No vocals, I think. Like a constant. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, it's it's just like O B J K T. Okay, yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, and that one seems nicer, but still, there's things like in OpenSea you can sort differently. You can like see recently sold. There's just there's mm. little features that OpenSea is. They're just so much more. They're so much further down the line. It's just a better platform in general. Yeah. But yeah, once these other ones catch up, yeah, really, all bets are off. Who knows what'll happen um, with mm. all of it? Yeah, really fascinating. How much of um, your like business and what you do now? How much does NFT do NFTs play a role in it? Because you have, like you mentioned, the illustration, the covers, the private um, mm -hmm. uh, clients, and things. Like how how does that all balance out? A good question. Um, I mean, I finished just two bigger client projects, so uh, I have uh, another smaller one on the horizon. So right now, I would say it's like more than eighty percent actually, because of the money that I already made and um, oh, eighty percent for which. Uh, of 80% of the time, which I spend on now, mm -hmm. because I, I made like, um, I, I think I made like in two months alone, like three and a half E. That's amazing. From just NFTs, right? And um, it's like an instant, obviously. Uh, some of it I paid out, uh, but most of it I just reinvest or keep in Ethereum. I've reinvested in 10 different cryptocurrencies. So it's very hard to be when you see those numbers and as quickly as they come in because it's instant, right? Uh -huh. Like, um, and um, so when I had those two client projects, it was like 50-50 time management, 50% on that, 50% on the new stuff. But now it's more like 80%. And um, I also created like a buffer. So I don't need to make a lot of money in the next month. Mm -hmm. So I can play around more and experiment more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, you have to remember, I live in Germany. We have higher taxes than Americans, but we don't. We have national insurance, which means, like, uh, I know that friends of mine who are illustrators <laughs> or artists in the US, they always worry about their um, fees when it comes to hospitals and stuff like that. Uh -huh. Even if I don't make a lot of money, I don't have to worry about that. I will always, I, I pay like a hundred bucks for my insurance. Nice. Yeah, I didn't realize the taxes were higher in Germany. Like, do you know yeah, relative, like how much it is, like percentage-wise, approximately? I would say, like, um, I don't know what your highest income tax is in America. I, I think it's around thirty percent. Is it? True? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Like, all in with state and local, you're pretty much guaranteed to be like one third, like thirty-three percent. But then, yeah, tax brackets it goes up um, from there. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> And in Germany, it's 44%. Oh, wow. Yeah. And for the highest tax, right? Obviously, we have the same progressive tax. So it's not mm -hmm. that you pay 40%. It depends on, like, until you make 50,000 euro, you pay that uh, tax range. If you make uh, uh, until like 80,000 euro, you, you pay more for that additional. Yeah. But obviously, as an artist, I, I do have costs. Like, I, I have an iMac, I have. Um, a phone, I have like an iPad, so I just obviously deduct everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I pay very little taxes right now because I'm able to deduct a lot of it. Nice. And yeah, there's like an um, artist advantage. So I get, I don't know how to call it. It doesn't exist in the US, but there's a, like artists in general have to pay a little, 
less oh, and okay. they get certain perks from the government. Like I pay less for health insurance, like some normal guy that is not a creative. Nice. Yeah, so that's interesting. I pay just 30% of the insurance that they have to pay. So when they pay like three or 400, I only pay like 120 or so per month. Yeah, because that's a good it's, setup. It's, it's, yeah, for creatives, because the government learned a few, they can figure out that creatives are not the richest, so let's make it easy for them. Which yeah. I enjoy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so, and you mentioned, you mentioned uh, the deer a little bit. What is your, like, I love diving into origin stories, so we're going to do that in a minute, but um, what is your sort of uh, deer of choice? Like, are you doing a lot of stuff on the iPad? Are you still doing stuff like Photoshop? Like, like where does your typical uh, piece, uh, sort of what's the life cycle of a typical piece that you create? So about a year ago, I was mainly using my iMac. I have like an upgraded iMac. Um, and I use basically a Wacom tablet. Mm-hmm which is a Japanese company and they make like a tablet and it's not like an iPad tablet. It's really just like, it looks like a black plate of plastic and you draw on it with a pen like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a digital pen. And um, then you look on the screen and you see the result. And I was using Clip Studio Pro, which is a software for manga, comic artists and illustrators. So I wasn't, and I was using Photoshop for like, um, file readjustments like yeah. formatting and stuff like that and additional effects but the main drawing was done in clip studio pro but then um i uh i got an ipad pro and i fell in love with procreate uh-huh. i know and it's the number one app for drawing for the ipad and i can't quit man I, i'm speaking <laughs> to you via my imac but i'm still using my ipad because i don't want to i can switch back to it uh-huh. But I just want to draw on the iPad because you see it, right? You don't have to yeah. look at the separate screen. You see it, and it's so much better. Like it's and it's amazing. I would take my yeah, like, it's arguably it's like it's like cheap, relatively speaking. Like if you have an iPad and you throw Procreate for like thirty bucks, and it is so amazing. Like I can't believe. Like I started drawing because of Procreate mm-hmm. because it's like I enjoy it, and it's like a. Like, I wouldn't, like, pull out a piece of paper and draw, but I'll pull out my iPad mm. and play around and try some different things. And, like, it's amazing how far the tech has come because those old, like, the, the Wacom tablets, especially for a while, were very expensive. And you still had, like mm. you said, your your finger wasn't connected to the screen. Like, you were looking at the screen and drawing down here. And, yeah, it's I'm so impressed by what Apple's done with that device. So cool. Mm. But, yeah. And it... It's ridiculously cheap. Like in Germany, it costs about 10 euro, the app. Oh, nice. Which is like 12. And I think in, in America, it shouldn't be much more expensive. It should be like 12 or $13 at, at the most. Okay, and yeah. You get, I thought it's like a light version or like a trial version or something. I'm thinking, but because I'm used to Photoshop prices, <laughs> how much you pay for a month. Uh-huh. I'm thinking this is cost less than like renting Photoshop for a month, right? And yeah. you get the full version. Yeah, and it's your whole it's like, business. Wow. Your whole business in an iPad, essentially, which is yeah. amazing. Just so amazing. I love that. Um, mm. So I wanted to dive into your origin story first. I don't know if you've ever shared it and if, you're, if you want to, but the name Mars, where did mm. that stem from initially? So my uh, real name is Marius Dorian and then Schmidt. And Schmidt is like the number one German name. And I'm thought, <laughs> I hate that. 
it has to do with, with my mother. My mother is also a full-time artist and she's actually quite successful. Like she had an exhibition lately and a huge studio in Berlin. And, but she always regretted having not listened to herself, but to my father, <laughs> because her original name is Inga Hildebrandt, which okay. is a very old, old school Nordic Germanic name. Uh-huh. She really likes that name, but my father, obviously, would, she took his name, Schmidt, which is Smith or Miller in the US, I guess, right? <laughs> it's so bland. And she used then that boring name as her artist's name. And every time we talk about naming issues, like she's still complaining, I should have listened 30 years ago. I should have listened to myself. Shouldn't have taken Schmidt. I should have taken my old German, Germanic name, Hildebrand Inga. Mm-hmm. And every time I heard that as a child, and I thought, okay, I cannot like keep that name. Like I don't want to be like that where I complain. <laughs> um, and so yeah, and and I did an exchange here in the United States at a high school, and no one could pronounce my name. Like the R sound in the middle, that Marius. Mm-hmm. They said like Marius, Mario, Super Mario. <laughs> the running back, yeah. Did it, did did it, did. Yeah. <laughs> and I basically because I I always liked the planet Mars. Uh-huh. Uh and uh, like the Greek, right? Like the god of war, basically, like Ares and Mars, same name. And that's why I picked it. And they immediately uh, used that instead of Marius. It's only I and you canceled out, right? Yeah. Then you have that name. And Dorian is like also my name. So I, I picked that as my artist name. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. It is. It. I'm sure it has to be a little frustrating when you're doing like the stuff international and you can't use like your your actual name because it's it's tougher but it is a great brand like from the beginning just mars because i would say mars dorian is how i would always pronounce it but like that's very american but like um it just it has it from day one it had a vibe to it that i was just like okay that's Mm. awesome saw your art i'm like the art is phenomenal i love how you've crafted your own unique like it's such your style like mm-hmm. i've like every so often i'll see something like from someone that i'm like that reminds me of mars like it just it's you're you're sort of that core of this particular style like you mentioned like cartoon uh urban is that what, how you described it yeah i call it like urban cartoon art basically uh, yeah yeah it is so cool but um to rewind that to rewind sort of to your origin story like you mentioned your mom um is an artist mm-hmm. or was an artist and um sort of what did you ex- like? What was your upbringing like? Like, did you expect to be an artist? Was this something you've always done growing up? And like, sort of, where did you expect to be as an adult? Like, sort of dive into that journey just a little bit. Yeah. So basically, I wanted to become um, a comic book artist when I was stepping into a supermarket in Germany, and I I was like seven years old, and it wasn't the uh, we also have like a little sea, North Sea. Mm-hmm. And it was near the beach and I wanted to eat ice cream because I was hooked on ice cream like a, like a drug addict. <laughs> and then I saw that uh, comic stand and I had like Ghostbusters, the first issue, the real Ghostbusters. And I flipped through it and I fell in love immediately. And that's when it all started. And then I said, I don't want the ice cream, mom. I want the comic here. And she's like, are you okay? Because <laughs> I was addicted to ice cream. She's like, no, I can't really get you the ice cream. No, I want the comic book. Like I insisted on it. And she was giving me that look, but then she bought it, and that's where the fascination started. And yeah, for the longest time, I wanted to be actually a comic book artist. I went to school actually for filmmaking and like media studies, and um, I I kind of liked it, 
I learned a lot about uh, filmmaking and storytelling, but the problem was that I kind of hated waking up early in the morning, having to do with huge teams. <laughs> and there's a lot of bureaucracy involved, especially in Germany, if you want to get funding for a movie. Like you basically have to create your own production bureau, a studio, and you have to apply for funding because, and I, I, I thought like that's so much trouble. Like, I want to go back to what I did as a child, teenager, which was draw all the time, like, like a crazy person, draw, draw, draw. And then I chose that path and I mixed it basically with blocking, right? So I was into blocking for like a long time. Well, long in internet years. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved it. And I also liked blog articles and uh, illustrated and wrote articles for other people on their marketing blogs. And I liked it, but I never had like a huge break with that. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, okay. Uh, and, and then when I realized that blocking wasn't its way out, I thought like I should go back to what I originally want to do, which is draw, right? Yeah. And then those years were basically where I tried everything, how to make money with like, especially like digital drawing and um, yeah, like doing commissions, even a gallery with high quality prints and doing different stuff. And, but I, I always realized like I never really found what was truly mine. I thought about going back to comic books, but um, the industry, even though it's very international now, a lot of Germans work for Americans, American publishers. I just, I found the whole business model be so old fashioned, like the way they get paid, uh, the restrictions they have and the rights issue. That was the biggest point. Like mm. today, the publisher still keeps all the rights and you don't own your own IP, right? And you hear that with a lot of uh, uh, writers and comic artists who create like characters for DC and Marvel and they don't own any uh, copyright on that character. Like the guy mm. who created Ghost Rider uh, or the guy who created the Winter Soldier, which is now with Captain America, a huge franchise, right? Like he didn't get any royalties for that character and he created the whole storyline and everything. And because I just read an interview with him and he said, it's a billion dollar franchise and he doesn't make any money from that, even though he created the whole character and backstory. And I thought, ah, it's just not a good industry. It's just very exploitative. And that's where I was so fascinated by NFTs, right? Making that smooth transition. <laughs> because you keep your IP, you're in charge, and the middlemen kind of, um, I wouldn't say they disappear, but they're not as important as they used to be. It's merely like a platform where there's a smart contract created, right? And where you upload your stuff and sell it. But you don't need to really ask for permission for like a publisher who then keeps all the rights. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, and having the royalties built in. So like you yeah. don't you don't run into the problem where someone's like, you know, we're not going to pay you anymore. It's like, no, 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 this is just how it works. It doesn't, it, it's immutable. It can't be changed in the future, which is brilliant. Mm. Um, yeah. So in the, like, in the blogging days, because that's when we met, were you mm. full-time um, artist at that moment? Did you ever have to, like, balance it with, uh, like, a day job or anything? Or were you able to, like, start into blogging and illustration for yourself and for others, um, like, full-time? Yeah, no, I, I I can't remember the last time I had like a day job. Um, <laughs> early 20s, I think. Uh, no, I, I was doing it full time because I was still doing a lot of uh, artwork and private commissions and stuff like that. And I was living very frugal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't have my own, I lived like with, a, with, with two friends. Uh, and I had, um, even though I lived in a city, like I had very low cost. 
And uh, like I said, like national insurance, like even if you're poor creative, like you can't get poor by going to the doctor or having a surgery. Mm. So that helps, right? So you have that security in the back. And yeah, no, I didn't have uh, any uh, day job. I was always finding a way of making money, even if I didn't have a lot of money. And mm-hmm. frugal living helped, which is uh, something I learned from Seth Golden, the marketer, right? Like mm-hmm. keeping your, your main cost, keeping it low, that you have more freedom. The more lavish your lifestyle, the more uh, unfree you become, not just mentally, but also in terms of obligations and, and bills to pay. Yeah. And, and that is that entrepreneurial vibe. It's a freedom. That's what we're all going after. It's sort of the cliche, mm-hmm. like, like I'd rather work 80 hours a week for myself than 40 hours a week for someone else because it is that freedom, mm-hmm. you know? And it really is like, cause that's, I mean, I'm all about that. That, that is my whole focus is I don't, like you said, I don't want to have to wake up early and deal with bureaucracy with, uh, a media company or whatever it is. Like I want to do things on my pace at my time and I want to strike out and win big on my own. Like that's just, it's the entrepreneurial way, I think. Absolutely. When I talk to my friends, some of them who have, most of them are like freelancers, even they're programmers or other artists, but some of them work for like a company and it's just, even if they make decent or good money, it's just what the stories they tell me, it's just frightening. Like the bullying going on where like a, mm. a colleague is like bad mouthing them or there's rivalry or they have huge problems with the boss. And that's like talks, like just a toxic working atmosphere and they dread going to work and they always talk about the weekend and traveling for yeah. holidays. And that's like always when they're shy, like, yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as you talk about their work, it's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, the bulk of our time is spent working, especially when we have a day job. Mm. So to have that experience is not, mm. I don't know. I don't, I don't cherish that that's not something i would ever go back to like like you like i like my last job was like 12 years ago or something like that was the like the only job i had and then i've been doing this ever since um but yeah i just i couldn't imagine having to like clock in clock out and do the the typical stuff um but when you were starting when you were first starting out i know it's a while ago now how were you Mm. finding your commissions and the like say private collectors or things that were bringing in the money um, was there anything connected to, um, cause I know since your mom is already an artist and in the space, was it anything to do with that? Or did you have any other, um, tips or things that you discovered along the way? So I think it was two things. One of them was, I was very active on Twitter already and I showed my artwork and stuff like that. So I made a lot of relationships, which I still make, uh, through Twitter, which is my preferred network. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was yeah, that has to do with my mom because I was still like going to like um, artist meetups at like parties um, where you just meet a lot of interesting people. And uh, some of them, yeah, they bought artworks from me and that's where I even uh, created like galleries and exhibitions with them. So obviously the artist um, society or community around my mother that helped and the Twitter, like being relentless on Twitter, connecting with people and like basically choosing your favorite network and being very active on that and being just a decent person. And if they see your work, if you have a clear enough call to action on your website, what you do, then yeah, that. And then a few years later after that, it was just word of mouth, mm-hmm. right? Just like people recommending you. Yeah, and you then, have that snowball, that snowball effect. It's just yeah. rolling downhill and more people learn and... And you had that balance, like, 
that's it feels like a lot of artists run into like they might be creating something great but they mm. haven't built that network because like a lot of times people don't want to sell and like do the things and they might feel a little funny and like i always feel it it's unfortunate because i feel like a lot of people sort of they have their their lane but they may not connect those two pieces you know a lot of artists that i meet um they're quite good with their art and everything but they're terrible at selling i'm not really good at selling myself but i'm much better at creating or connecting with people because i'm generally curious about other people what they do what they make and so it's easy for me to connect with them but some of them are like some creators are very reclusive and it's very hard for them to connect and i think like even that czech friend of mine from prague she's like Oh, don't tell me I have to go on Twitter like and, <laughs> and talk to people. And I'm like, well, like it's not selling itself, right? Uh -huh. Like you, you do put in some effort, <laughs> and like I could just see your eyes rolling, like dee, 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 dee. yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, um, it's something I'm afraid, especially in today's age, that you have to learn. Mm -hmm. That I I see artists and creators who I think are not that good at the art aspect but they're so good at connecting and like touting their own horn right and just promoting it and like holy geez i can learn from them <laughs> right i really like you think they're the new messiah coming to earth right <laughs> yeah and i'm seeing the artwork i'm thinking is that your artwork like i'm not saying anything mean because i always respect creators but oh yeah i'm thinking holy crap like they're really good at the selling uh -huh. and that's for better or worse is more important like connecting with people and promoting yourself and um yeah. yeah and if you're just just good it's the whole discoverability factor right if, if people don't know about you you can be the best in the world right mm -hmm. there needs to be a way of leveraging attention that you can bank in on your um creative artworks and your work yeah and a big question i feel like when it comes mm. to the creative space always comes down to pricing like someone comes in they're like oh i would like this how much does it cost? Or I would like you to do X, Y, Z. How much will that cost? Mm. How do you approach pricing? Because I feel like everyone does it a little differently. Like, like we do our stuff a lot from, um, we don't do like a time like per hour, but I mm. will always estimate things based on, okay, if this will take us a week and we need this much revenue for the year, one week costs X. Um, do you have like some sort of formula or anything that you do and in, um, in your approach? So when I was pricing my uh, premium prints, obviously you think about how much it costs to print them because they're limited editions and it costs quite a lot of money to print a piece because it's a high quality German paper. It's like a super industrial heavy printer costs like between 50 and 100 euro mm -hmm. just to print out one piece. So you, you focus on that and then how much you think it's worth and the frame and everything. So you come to like, I don't know, 300 or 350 for a piece euro and um yeah basically you 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 look at how much money you need obviously for a month for a minimum decent living and then how much artwork or or, or services you have to sell in which range and um yeah and from that basically i i went to nfts and that was quite difficult actually how to price nfts mm -hmm. because i thought i'm very new to that space should i price it like i price my premium prints and I was very conflicted. I asked a lot of people. I started a little bit cheaper because people tell me it's much better to go cheaper. Not 
cheap-ish, but cheaper, and then uh, raise the price, raise the price. And I started like selling stuff like an edition for, let's say seven pieces in edition for like 120 or $100, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for my seven edition out of seven pieces. And then I said like, okay, so if I sell like a single piece, like a one-on-one, -on -one, then I should be at least like four or five times that much. And I did like 450, maybe $400 in that range. I'm now between like usually 0.2 ETH, which is around, well, it's very volatile. Yeah. <laughs> between one, I would say 600 and like, I have to say $780, right? <laughs> because that's the price range for Yeah. And that's the new price range for like a single, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking like, um, I sold one for $800, but it was still 0.2 ETH. And yesterday I sold for the same price range, but I made like $670 <laughs> from it. So I lost like $130 just because... Uh, yeah, the volatility. Yeah. So, yeah. Pricing in, in, in a crypto is much harder because of the volatility, right? A dollar is more or less as much worth next year as it is today, obviously with like inflation, a few percentages, but it's not going to be twice or three times as expensive as today, right? Yeah. So uh, it's much easier to price them, but yeah, you have to keep in mind how much do you think you're, how much you, money do you need? How much do you think you're worth for that product, like that artwork? And like keeping volatility in mind that what is like the uh, trajectory of the currency? Ethereum is more on an upward trajectory. You have to keep that in mind because if you price too high and we're another like a bullish run, yeah. then it's, it becomes super expensive, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and if you don't sell it, I mean, you can always like adjust the price a little bit. Oh, yeah. and I think that's, that's fair because uh, you have to adapt to the uh, volatility. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And do you have a um, release schedule or anything that you like impose on yourself? Like, do you feel like I need to have X number of pieces a month or anything? Or does, is it just purely like when you're inspired to run with one? No, no. Uh, so I do, I would say a minimum of three pieces per week, mm -hmm. usually Monday to Friday or Saturday, usually fanned out like every two days. Sometimes I make a shorter break, maybe just one, or I do one piece right the next day if I sold the other one like very quickly. Mm -hmm. But if there's like, um, yeah, so that's minimum three, three to four, I would say. And I'm very um, consistent. Like I don't want to just like post whenever I feel like it because um, I, I post everything on Twitter and if there's too much of like a break and just different tweets then and future collectors come and they don't see my artwork in the feed, it's, I think it's ba bad marketing for yourself. And if they see that they're very active, there's the idea that, oh, this guy is going places like he's producing, right? So there's more an incentive to buy something. And yeah, three is the minimum, I would say, per week. Yeah, I, I like because I like how you're doing that because you're really applying the entrepreneur like mentality to nft and art and it's mm. it's important like exactly what you're saying because it's like and unless you're front of mind there is an endless feed on twitter of people talking about nfts promoting nfts all these different things so yeah you need to you need to have your lane there where people see what you're doing and yeah know that you are active like that's yeah a really good approach 
Um, when it comes to inspiration, oh, sorry, yeah, you mm -hmm. didn't say something. No, I just wanted to add what I do. I always pin my tweets, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, my artworks mostly. So um, when I have a couple collectors, I, I would say I have like six collectors who keep on buying stuff from me, who bought like at least three or four pieces. And it's also like they keep retweeting my stuff, even if they don't buy every piece, right? Nice. If you have like a new pin tweet, it always shows like someone being active, right? Like if, if he checks my or she checks my Twitter profile and see, oh, it's a new, new artwork pin. Like there's new stuff going on. But if they check, and it's the same artwork that I've pinned like two weeks ago. Yeah. It, it seems like, okay, is this like a dead account? Maybe that's a bit drastic, but is, uh, is he still doing something? Is he alive, right? Uh -huh. So, but the truth is I also have really fun creating. So I, I, I keep that in mind and waiting for inspiration. I think it's like, a, not a death penalty, but it's like, it, I mean, then you're not a professional. Then you're just like a hobby artist, right? It's like, uh -huh. Just waiting for the muse <laughs> to strike me and give me inspiration. Just, yeah, I guess it's your Yeah, um, and I feel like I feel like your pieces have like sort of a <laughs> philosophy of life and business built into them. Usually, because you usually oh. have some writing on them. Where do you yes. where do you draw that from? So here's the idea. Um, it's a bit personal, but it's relevant to the question. Uh -huh. So I have a con congenital heart disease, right? I was born with it. Uh, I had two major heart surgeries in the last five years. Wow. Worst experience of my life uh, because your lung collapses, like they break open your thorax, your lung collapses. You need at least half a year, up to a year to fully recover because it messes you up your whole system. You take a lot of medication. You have to be very careful how you, what kind of sport you do, how you eat and everything because you're more fragile, right? So. You don't see it. You will never notice it when I talk to you because I don't have any physical like restrictions, but it's still there. And I always thought like um, a lot of artwork is very smooth, very clean. Like they don't have any errors or um, imperfections, right? Even mm -hmm. like, especially when they're drawing women, it's just like a beautiful face and like a model. And my, the creations that I have, they're always imperfect. They always have either like a rash or some feature that doesn't quite look well or they have like a glass eye uh some damage or like a, they have like a replacement on their limb or they have like a lot of bandages right like you see a lot of artworks of mine with bandages yeah. and that's the mindset that the imperfect beings who have like physical damage or maybe like mentally but they still work they still have that life right but they're imperfect and that's where I bring the personal like health experiences into my artworks because I cannot draw like effectively a congenital heart disease with people. Right. Yeah. Unless you really focus on that. Uh, and that's where the inspiration comes from. Like uh, I don't ever want to create like a perfect character that's just super slick. They always have some blemishes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's, I mean, it makes it, it makes it all the more beautiful, like hearing that about the art too yeah i'm definitely looking everything through a new lens i already love your art so <laughs> but yeah that's amazing and then when it comes to the the actual text that you write on there then mm. um is that usually um in the moment you're this is this is where you're thinking do you try to because i feel like you sort of have a theme throughout mm. with the writing um like yeah how do you approach like what you're going to 
even name the piece or the little um I don't want to say aphorisms, but sort of like mm. um you you'll put a lot of things like like about building and growing and moving forward and um forward momentum, I guess. Mm. So I would say that when I create like a character, I make sure that it somehow connects to that character or what he's like exuding, what kind of vibe, right? And um it I, I don't have like I don't write it down like before I do the drawing. It, it usually comes naturally when I draw, when I realize so this is the kind of character that um I'm creating. So what would be like in a way constructive or what would fit that attitude of that character or could be an extension of the character, right? And I started that actually when I was blogging and writing for other blogs and illustrating my works. And I would always use like kind of like tweets and hashtags on the people, on the creations, because uh -huh. I thought that's a cool idea on social media and it's stuck ever since. So you see a lot of characters that have like a hashtag as like an eyeliner or they have like very weird band-aids that sometimes have like symbols on them or they have just like a jacket or like a tattoo that is like part drawing part, uh, I guess, motivational phrase or something. So it comes obviously from my um, mindset, from the character that I create that fits the, the best. And um, yeah, but because I've done so many drawings now, it just comes natural at this point. It's like a drawing, I'm drawing it from my uh, unconscious uh, mind. Yeah. And yeah. just because I am not really an artist illustrator or anything like i like to draw just because i enjoy it but mm. when you sit down to start are you ever mm. looking because now like you said it just sort of exudes from you are you ever looking for specific inspiration like maybe like oh i watched this movie last night i liked that there's something about that makes me think this like do you have like i guess sort of what's your muse maybe or is it just so ingrained now that you've done this for so long that it just flows I mean, I wish I could summon like a muse, like a Pokemon, <laughs> where I just like throw the ball and then the muse Pokemon comes out. <laughs> and no, um, I was very, it actually comes from a change of character. Um, I was very super political a few years ago and I would get very mad at certain issues. And a good friend of mine, she told me, ah, you know, like you're very smart, but like you get enraged by so many issues, like, with people who disagree with you, be a little bit more curious. Like if you're more curious, you will get less angry because you're always interested in other people's opinion. And I realized I didn't like myself then because I was getting triggered way too easily. That feels like a lifetime ago now. And uh, she told me that and I, I developed a curiosity. Like every time I meet someone or a new food, I would say, huh, interesting, right? Like that open mindset. And that's where the inspiration comes from, actually, from that mindset that whenever I go, when I eat new food or drink something new in a different country or meet like a person that has a completely different mindset and uh, uh, political background, I always have like that curious mindset and like, hmm, I want to know more. And with that mindset, you learn from everything, like from food, from the people you meet, from animation, from Korea, Japan and what have you. And you're just soaking on all up, right? Instead of being like a closed wall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so important. And like, as, as you said that you're inspired by so many things for your, your style as well. Like how long mm. did that take to develop? Because like, it's so distinct and so Mars was, mm. did you ever, um, take other paths? Like, were you ever doing any 
like a different thing that's completely different that you would look at today and be like, wow, that doesn't even feel like the same person drew it or created it. Yeah, I mean, I would say like about 10 years ago, my style was completely different. It was more like a copy of another artist that I admired, like Jamie C. Hewlett. There's still the inspiration from him. But then it was just like basically copying your idols, right? And made your style very samey. But then people said, oh, that looks good. That looks like that one artist who created like Tank Girl and uh, Gorillas. <laughs> and first you think, oh, that's cool. But then when people keep saying that, you think, well, I, I want it to look like my art, right? Yeah. I don't want to compare to the same artist. And yeah, and, and when I did the blogging and I included all the social media aspects and those characters and everything, that's when I developed it. And I also did murals in Berlin. Nice. And uh, I, I lived at the time in Kreuzberg, which is like, uh, back then it was like a ghetto poor district. Now it's completely gentrified. It's like the party district where the uh, wealthy people live. And they had a lot of walls with graffiti, street art, and a lot of stuff by, uh, what's his name? The American artist, uh, he did the Obama Hope poster, Shabbat Ferry. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Yeah, quite um, a lot of murals from him in Berlin from nice. originally because he uh, he talked about it in an interview that he was in Kreuzberg, Berlin, was quite famous for the graffiti. And I saw that and I, I basically was inspired by it. So my love for the urban aspect of Berlin, it's very Berlin influenced, the artwork, the street art. Then obviously my obsession was like animation and manga and even American comics and then my personal life experiences. And you just mush it all together and create your own art smoothie. Yeah. Are there any photos of the murals that you did? I'd be so curious to see that. I, I don't have digital photo. I was still using an um, analog camera, but I have analog photos of them, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That is very I, was cool. doing something. I did something that doesn't exist in the United States. We call it a Litvas soiler. It's a, it's like a, it looks like a Roman pillar. Mm. It's exclusive to Berlin, actually. It's where you put like um, basically old school wallpapers. It looks just like a, like a circle, like a like a pillar from like a Roman building, and you have that all everywhere in Berlin. And uh, that's where I did like my own murals. Like you have to think like three dimensional. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, very cool. Mm. So, what are you most excited about right now? Um, like, I mean, NFTs. Obviously, there's a lot going on there. But yeah, what what are you thinking about? No, I, I really like the idea, um, coming back to that freedom concept. Mm -hmm. um, what I really like about NFTs and the whole space is that you can do it from everywhere because I'm very mobile. I don't want to be stuck to like a certain place and you can create everything digitally and sell it, which is huge. Like a lot of digital artists didn't know how to make money except for like private commissions. But now it's you can sell art, but you don't have the logistics or the frame issues or the material issues of the analog art world. So that I love that aspect, the digitalization. Um, what I'm also excited about is um, that you own the IPs, mm -hmm. like the intellectual property, which is huge for me because I know quite a few people who got what we talked about earlier, screwed by their publishers and exploited. And the ideas where you can develop it, right? I still think we're in the beginning. Uh, I just read an article on Deadline which is a Hollywood magazine, um, a website about how uh, studios and like uh, agencies are buying like NFT projects. I don't know if you've heard about that. No, I haven't seen that. Uh, so they, they bought like, um, it was, I think, Bored Apes 
me bits, which I don't know as much. It's also like a mm. collection and two other projects. Huh. And there's going to be like, I guess, like um, uh, an animation series and more projects in the way. Another guy, uh, Ghost Collection, Ghost written with an X. Oh, yeah. Very mm -hmm. popular. I mean, the guy's super rich now, multimillionaire <laughs> by now, because if you see how the prices are like 50 ETH sometimes for like yeah. artwork, or like a little portrait, 50 ETH. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he's selling it, right? It's not just on the market, he's selling it. But he also wants to make like a graphic novel, and he has multiple ideas where he can take it. And that's very inspiring. That's what I'm excited about that. Instead of just selling digital artworks, he can expand. Think about graphic novels or different projects, right? Mm -hmm. Doing collaborations with any other artists around the globe, right? Um, it's just the sheer amount of possibilities that you have as a digital creator and you still keep the right, like the copyright to yourself. And that's not like a corporation or a publisher who claims that right. Like potential freedom and yeah that's what i'm most excited about yeah and do you foresee yourself doing maybe that comic book that you all always thought about doing i i do um i actually thought about uh doing a, a my, my first foray into that space would be doing an ongoing cartoon series with an obsessed nft creator which is totally not a reflection of myself <laughs> <laughs> doing it like in an Slightly anime, manga-ish inspired way, but with a lot of gags concerning the whole NFT and crypto art space, Yeah, which would be super nerdy. Everyone who basically understands that space would understand all the jokes. And I'm not seeing that. I see some cartoons, but it's definitely on the lower end. Uh, I think I'm just going to start that because I've done a few of them, but I, I wasn't entirely sure about the pricing model, like because it's like the edition size and the pricing model because they're different than like a single artwork. But yeah, and in the near future, I want to do like, um, like a graphic novel with my characters. So the story in my style, influenced by technique, uh, like modern tech and the crypto space where um, you combine it with like a fantasy RPG kind of like a world building. Nice. Yeah, that sounds... Where the magic the magic is basically like a cryptocurrency, which you can stake and basically cash in and sell. The more magic that you have, the more powerful your spells become. And there are like mana pools and stuff like that. That so, would be very cool. <laughs> yeah. Have you started talking with developers and things on that? Or is it uh, still in the idea phase? Uh, no, I, so I, I wanted to actually do a Kickstarter with that comic idea nice. about uh, a world where mana is Mana is like the standard word for magic, right? In uh -huh. RPGs, where this is technically like a cryptocurrency uh, and it has a huge impact on how the whole world is shaped. And I did a lot of designs. I have like 20 pages sketched out. I have all the character designs and everything. It was to be a Kickstarter, but I'm learning that's also quite complicated in terms of uh, logistics and everything. So I'm learning about that. And a friend of mine told me like, why don't you do it like NFT style, uh -huh. right? But then I'm looking at CryptoPunks at the comic book. I mm. think it's also called And it looks like they have a whole team behind that, right? Like they yeah. have an investor and developers and stuff. It's not just like one artist because they have quite the uh, website and a real system of if you buy that one, you can burn that one and you get like a token 
Yeah. And yeah. Once you get outside of OpenSea, there is a lot of development. It's still so early, but there's so much potential yeah. when you're developing your own, Absolutely. which is awesome. So I'm still, because I'm fairly new to that space, I would say two and a half months, I'm learning, I'm always learning everything about how I can turn that into a reality. I'm still doing designs for that, but right now I'm not yet experienced enough for me. It's still overwhelming, right? Oh yeah. It won't be maybe like in three or six months when I've learned way more and have more sales and everything. So that's definitely my horizon. That's the bigger project I want to do. I have to do because... I think it 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 speaks for all the the nerds, right? Uh-huh. Taking like a concept like RPG dungeon style fantasy with like cryptocurrency and yeah, yeah, I so really I'm like that. And mm. and doing the cartoon you mentioned, are you think are those like short clips that then people would buy as an NFT, or were you thinking more like full length like episode type things? So it, it's it's gonna be like um, I don't know how to how that principle is called. It's like four panels mm-hmm. and two panels on top and two panels below so it's not the american style strip that you have in newspapers it's like the japanese style where you have two equally sized panels nice. and the the fourth panel is usually like the punchline i would do it like that and uh sell it basically as single pieces maybe a first edition of 20 25 maybe 30 and then pricing them fairly cheaply between 50 and 100 dollars now uh, talking in dollars and uh, cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and uh, seeing uh, if you make any sales on that, right? And if you do, I would like maybe every week create one or two cartoons and create like a sm- collection of them, all geeky jokes. You just need to buy <laughs> one to get the joke for that one, but having maybe like a larger theme that is still somehow connecting them. But that would be more feasible than like a big graphic novel with like a, uh, uh, a lot of characters and world building and everything, right? So I think that would be a natural stepping stone. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. It's sort of like, um, like so we have a mutual friend, Srini, and he would write his stuff on Facebook and sort of mm. workshop it out there, see how it goes, and then it ends up becoming usually a book, like part of a book later, which it's like that is, the again, the entrepreneurial approach, like get the, the comic strip out there consistently see how it's uh, yeah. received and then you slowly start building out that universe and yeah sounds like an awesome approach i really like i'm really excited to see like everything that you that you're coming up with moving forward um so yeah i don't want to take too much of your time this has been awesome like um what where should we send people to check out what you're up to and um follow along yeah so uh, i'm mostly active on twitter and my Twitter profile is at Moss Dorian. Moss, like the Red Planet, and Dorian, like uh, Dorian Gray, right, for uh-huh. that story. And, uh, yeah, because I have um, my website and my OpenSea artwork site all basically in my Twitter profile. So that's the number one place to go where you can check out my website and the OpenSea artwork site. Yeah, and awesome. Where you can connect with me if <laughs> yeah. you want. I don't mind. <laughs> I'm a friendly German. I'm not an angry German. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this was really great. Like, thank you so much. I want to thank Mars for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out his uh, Twitter account, and that's just at Mars Dorian. And definitely, like, please check out his art. Like, I think you're going to love it. It is something, it is, his style is something that's just always, always spoken to me. I love it. It is so uniquely him. And it also has, like, 
a real message behind it. And the things that literally have written messages, the pieces have written messages, but also just the the story that now I didn't I didn't even know ahead of time or previously. Um, it really just means a lot. And I am definitely, as I finish recording this, I'm going to go back and peruse more of what he has out there right now. But anyway, that's Mars Dorian on Twitter. As always, this episode of Starting Now is brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head over to built.co. That's B-Y-L-T dot C-O to get started. Built. Your website, built for you, simply. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, be sure to, sure to subscribe wherever you're listening right now or uh, follow along on YouTube. I would love to get a subscribe on YouTube from you and a little thumbs up on this video if you enjoyed it because that really goes a long way to reach more people. So that'll do it. I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now, and I'll see you next time.